death, I'm, I'm really sorry, but this episode might contain some spoilers. 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 I'm going to have to leave. Sorry. Yeah. If you've not watched this episode, then uh, sorry, you're going to get spoiled. How to create fire. Fire. <laughs> Solidifying his position. <laughs> I didn't read this. <laughs> I didn't read this. Sorry. Again. <laughs> where we're watching every episode of Doctor Who from 1963 to present day. She's Beth, I'm David, and we're two very big Doctor Who fans, and we're very excited to get back to where it all began, 1963's An Unearthly Child. Before we begin, please remember to follow us on socials. You can find us on at Who Watch Podcast, or you can email us with your thoughts at the Who Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Never gets old. Yeah, do let us know what you think. What are your memories of An Unearthly Child? What do you think of it as an episode? And if you're watching for the first time, what are your thoughts? You're the most important person in the world guys we want to know all your thoughts we want to know all your your secrets all your secrets your bank account details everything (laughs) so let's take you back to saturday 23rd november 1963 because at quarter past five in the evening the tardis sounded on our television screens and changed britain and tv forever the story is our introduction to the first doctor his 15 year old granddaughter susan and her teachers ian chesterton and barbara wright we're taken along for the ride as ian and barbara follow susan home where they get bit worried for her well-being it's kind of kind of odd and they end up on the TARDIS which leaves London and arrives in 100,000 BC for the first ever Doctor Who adventure there the Doctor Barbara Ian and Susan are faced with a tribe of cave people who are absolutely gagging for fire <laughs> I'm so glad I kept that in and a power struggle takes place with the leadership of the tribe the TARDIS team get captured, but manage to show the leader of the cave people, Tsar, how to create fire, solidifying his position in the best political drama since the West Wing. But the team are told they can't leave and are trapped in a cave full of skulls. The team fake their deaths and escape to the TARDIS where they travel to an unknown futuristic forest. Ooh, cliffhanger. So let's get into our thoughts on an unearthly child. We have, we have lots to say. That's quite a big thing to talk about and a big mm. thing to say to start off with. I mean, I feel like we should say, first of all, the kind of elephant in the room, and I'm not talking about me. Um, David, <laughs> don't talk about my friend like that. Self-deprecation. Um, so the elephant in the room is that this story, An Unearthly Child, may not be available for you to watch on iPlayer Um in the way that I think was intended for celebrating the 60th anniversary. So if you don't know, which I'm surprised if you don't know, because it's part of the reason we launched this podcast, is that every single episode of Classic Who is now on BBC iPlayer for you to watch. It's audio described, it's subtitled, it's sign language, it's great. We're really, it's part of the reason we started this podcast, right? Is because we wanted it to be a, a companion piece for you to explore all of Classic Who and Modern Who with. Um, however, the first ever story and an earthly child that we're talking about today uh, at time of recording will not be included in that launch this is because the son of the original credited writer for the story um, has decided to pull the rights from the bbc meaning they may not be able to release it on iplayer come november 1st um you know maybe that'll change in the next like three days between recording this and it and the iplayer launch happening but um at the moment it looks like an unearthly child might not be there so we watched the story on itvx which you currently need a premium subscription for so you can watch stuff on brickbox um we're not sure if this will be available come november the first but we hope it is and that you can watch it somehow because it is a great story and i think it's good fun and you wouldn't want to miss out on the very first episode of Doctor Who, the very first Doctor Who story. You wouldn't want to miss out on this story and um the title sequence of this story is is iconic is brilliant is one is, is fantastic never the same before etc lady gaga it's actually like chilling like the way that the title sequence when you watch it for the very first time and you and and the music carries on playing when the episode starts mm-hmm. so like the music is playing over the first scenes and it's like it gave me actual chills it's so iconic and i and i was watching it and i thought the people that made this, did they not, like, they obviously didn't know that Doctor Who would ever go on for as long as it did. And 
just watching it, I'm like, how did they make something so iconic and atmospheric? Because really, if I was to recommend anybody to watch any Doctor Who first that wasn't New Who, and you know, they wanted to start from somewhere, I really would want them to watch that episode because it is so atmospheric and iconic and it really like encapsulates the energy and like the mystery of Doctor Who. And I just wonder how they knew, like just, they just did such a good job. I don't know how to describe this title sequence because it's like, Oh, how how do you describe it? It's like it's black and white, obviously, because this is filmed in the nineteen sixties. It's this kind of tie, almost tie dye, weird sand effect that goes over the screen. It's so hard to describe. The what I the way I used to describe some of the sounds in the first Doctor Turtle sequence is like when you pour out a cat litter tray because it sounds like cat litter. It does in the cat litter tray. Yeah, um, yeah. but it's it's like just literally unlike anything else the sounds, the visuals. It's like, it's so, I would say even more alien than any of the new series title sequences. Like it feels really like futuristic and different and like unlike anything I've ever seen. And the theme tune is obviously iconic, created by Ron Grainer and Julia Derbyshire. Spooky, weird, bizarre theme tune that I can imagine like if you're a kid of the 1960s and you're sat watching those two things come together, the music and this bizarre title sequence. It must have been absolutely terrifying, but also like nothing on television had ever been before. Like I can't overstate how there was nothing like that on TV and it would have just been mind boggling, mind blowing. Yeah, I think just watching it even now, it's just like unlike anything I've ever seen apart from like the rest of Doctor Who. But even then I think it's the best version of the title sequence and um, the theme tune because it is just so, I think it's so jarring as well that it's in black and white mm. and then you pan around to the junkyard and stuff and it's it's this kind of, I think that's what makes it so alien because you're watching black and white TV that you know would have been like 60 years mm. ago and and then it's paired up with this noise and these visuals that are like, like whoa, yeah. you know? We're going to go through the full story kind of chronologically and you start off with this shot going through into a junkyard and that's where the TARDIS is kept. I will say on occasion, I'm, I know that this was made on 1960s BBC budgets. The camera work occasionally does have a couple of things to answer for. Cause you're, it's like they're opening the door to the junkyard and then you can almost see that like whoever's operating the camera has a bit of a wobble and almost falls over. And so kind of like pushing into the TARDIS, this massive blue box that's just sat there. I didn't notice that because I was just so in awe of the of the shot. The way they pan around to the TARDIS was so, again, just so cool. Yeah. I don't think I even noticed that there was a wobble. I was just like, wow, look at that very first shot of the TARDIS. That's and incredible. Also, for that audience, right? We're from the 21st century. Are we? I know, right? <laughs> we, we are? I mean, you're not. 1996 or whatever you were born. Wow, you just completely aged me by a year. <laughs> no, but because we're from the 21st century, we're not used to seeing police boxes on our, like, in our everyday life. So for me, watching that, I was like, oh, it's a TARDIS. Whereas for people who are from the 1960s, like, you know, our parents' generation or our parents' parents' generation, it must have been like, such a weird thing to be like, oh, there's that thing that we see every single day on the street in a junkyard. Like, why is that in a junkyard? Yeah, I'm trying to think what the equivalent would be. Like, maybe like a post box? Maybe. Or, like, what do we have on street corners a lot now? I'm trying to think of an example. Me. <laughs> it's literally just adverts and post box. Like, there's no, there's not really a similar equivalent, I don't think, that no. we have now. And that's why, yeah, that's why it's so... Whereas we're, we're just like, it's a TARDIS. Yeah, that's, it's, it's I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there was ever a time in my life where I was aware of police boxes existing and didn't associate them with being the TARDIS. Let's talk about Ian and Barbara, who immediately, I fall in love with both of them, and I think that they're great. Um, and I think that it's really smart to make them like proper teachers. So mm-hmm. Ian's a science teacher, Barbara is a history teacher and that was a kind of the ethos of the programme as it began. It was like a programme that was made by the BBC to teach children about science and history um, and do it in a kind of fun and edu- slightly educational way. Um, so it kind of, those two are the ethos of what the show is about mm-hmm. and the emphasis on like where the show was meant to go or did go really in, in, in its way. Um, but they are like so 60s. <laughs> they are, they have such good chemistry. I, oh yeah, I they're great. 
for, I mean, I obviously I've seen an unearthly child before, um, but I, I love how much chemistry they have together straight away. Like I was really like, you know, there's sometimes you might watch something from, from 60 years ago and, you, and you're a bit, maybe you might not quite get into it, but I was immediately engaged by their chemistry and, you know, the way they bounced off of each other. Um, you know, the mystery surrounding Susan, like straight away. Um, I think it's a really great introduction to them and to Doctor Who generally, like to have these two outsiders, you know, the teachers at Coal Hill School, they're sort of like us, the audience, who are discovering who Susan and the Doctor are at the same time as we are. And I think it's really, really great to start the story at that point rather than, you know, coming to Ian and Barbara from the Doctor and Susan's point of view or any any other direction, basically. Yeah. yeah, they gel really well together. And William Russell, Jacqueline Hill, who play Ian and Barbara, just like fit so nicely together. I really felt really comfortable with them immediately. Mm-hmm. My thing, though, is, like, how they get to the TARDIS, which I think is so funny and so 60s. So, in the story, (laughs) they are both talking after lessons one day, and they're like, oh, my goodness, Susan Foreman, that weird Susan Foreman. What a weirdo. What a weirdo she is. I think that's so funny, (laughs) because I just wonder how often actual teachers do do that about their students, you know? If you're a teacher, if you're an actual teacher, do you do this with your students? The Who Watch watch Podcast at gmail.com. Please let us know. (laughs) Please let us know. Um, But they they come together and they're like oh my goodness Susan Foreman that weirdo um although like kind of we're a bit concerned about her welfare and the fact that when I went to see like one of them gets her address and they go to see where the address is and she says I think it's I think it's Barbara says yeah. it, it was a junkyard I'm like why is she living in a junkyard mm-hmm. so yeah so Susan obviously is from the far future and from a completely different planet mm-hmm. and so she's got knowledge of this particular part of time that she really shouldn't have. But she's also really stupid because she doesn't understand loads of stuff about this time as too. Yeah. So the concern is, <laughs> you know, Barbara's real concern about Susan is like, she's really smart, but really stupid. I don't understand. <laughs> and also she does that thing. There's a bit that reminds me of Mean Girls really randomly. But um, you know, when Katie in Mean Girls um, messes up deliberately to hide the fact that she's really smart to, yeah. to get Aaron Samuel's attention. <laughs> Susan does a similar thing where they start calling on to the fact that she's really, really smart. And Barbara says that she should specialise in history. Mm-hmm. And then she starts messing up her history so that she can pretend that she's not as smart as she actually is. Yeah. And to kind of keep her, like, pretending that she's not an alien from a completely different planet that looks like a human. So then Barbara and Ian decide, in the most 60s way possible, that um, rather than, like, phoning her parents because you can't do that at this particular point in time or it wasn't as common or something, they decide, right, we're going to follow Susan home. (laughs) It's just mad. It's just like, it's just so random. They're like, let's stalk our student in a car together and follow her into this junkyard. Like, it's all so absurd. (laughs) Yeah, so Susan is apparently living in this junkyard. That's the address that she gives the school secretary. I can understand the concern. They obviously are maybe thinking maybe Susan doesn't have like she's homeless. Maybe yeah. she's living in a cardboard box in yeah. a junkyard. She's just in fact living in a different type of box. In a, in a junkyard. Yeah, in a different type of box altogether. So um, and also she turns around to look and see if someone's following her and clearly doesn't see the massive car that is parked next to <laughs> next to the doors with two of her teachers sat inside of it. Um goes into the junkyard. Barbara and Ian follow her into the junkyard and are looking for her, but they can't see her apart from this very tall blue box that is sat there. Mm. The hum, the hum that comes from the TARDIS is so spooky. Yeah. I love it. I love the thought of, I'm watching it. I love, I love the sort of idea that you could walk into a street or a junkyard or wherever and see, and not just see this big massive blue box, but like, Obviously, the thing that they find weird about it is not that it's a police box, but that it's literally humming and they can hear that it's like alive. Yeah. And I just think that's so cool and so alien and such an exciting way to introduce the TARDIS. And Ian goes, it's alive! (laughs) Um, But they're looking around this junkyard to try and find Susan and this old man just appears. It's so iconic to me that the the first thing the Doctor does is have a coughing fit. Oh, yeah. Like his first scene is just him ha- coughing away. Like, wow, he hasn't even said anything yet, and he's just had like a full on. Beth, it's COVID. Yeah, it's COVID. he must have travelled in time he's from t- 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we meet the doctor whilst he's having a coughing fit, um, and the doctor immediately starts to like gaslight Ian and Barbara into like just being like, 
no, there's no girls here and you're just like just literally gaslighting them straight to their face being like go away (laughs) from a teacher point of view that must be like so sus yeah like he looks so suspicious an old man has just kind of gone no you did not just see a 15 year old girl walk into this junkyard yeah absolutely not that that didn't happen and i guess for like uh, that's creepy not to play into stereotypes but like the 1960s the kind of family the nuclear family unit was still a thing and it wouldn't have been particularly typical for someone who wasn't like uh your atypical mother father two and a half children family dog to have had like a child of that age in their care and their responsibility yeah so yeah i can fully imagine ian and barbara being like what the hell has just happened and where have you kidnapped this tro- this child yeah. i mean it's like stranger danger yeah. he it looks terrifying like out of the context of it being doctor who it's really quite creepy quite creepy and he's in his like he's in his sixties. This man look, look, looks like he's in his sixties. Yeah. He's got white hair. This very ed- eccentric Edwardian guy. He's literally dressed in like Victorian Edwardian one of the two kind of yeah. get up. Like that would have been so weird in nineteen sixty three to see that because yeah. you know I guess nowadays if you see someone dressed like that down Shoreditch you're like oh just a hipster, <laughs> just, a hipster. just a hipster or a Doctor Who fan yeah. one of the two. But you know in the sixties you're not getting people dressed like that. No, absolutely Especially not. not old men in junkyards outside of big police walks. So then they hear, you know, Barbara here, Susan go, Grandfather! 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 Can we just say also, Caroline Ford, A, a is wonderful and brilliant and I will not hear any criticism on her. Um, however, the accent that is like, the cut glass English accents that are coming throughout this, obviously it's very of the time and very of like what television and acting was at the time but it's quite hilarious to be like caroline ford was 23 when she was recording this and she's playing 15 and she's got this very cut glass english accent of, grandfather yeah. where are we grandfather what's going on i mean she pulls it off brilliantly oh, and I, I think that caroline ford playing that young works really well like she's really good in all of the school scenes yeah. um my one thing that i will always be sad about is i don't know if you've seen the original like unaired pilot it's on my list of things to do well so there is a version of this that they made that they then decided not to go with and they refilmed it where susan is so much more alien she's so much more quirky she's really like like caroline ford really goes for it and i just so wish that they kept that because Mm. it's so brilliant to watch um but caroline ford is brilliant she is so good in the role of susan and i really love the dynamic that she has with the doctor and ian and barbara in this scene and like when they go into the TARDIS yeah when they get into the TARDIS so yeah they walk through the front doors of the TARDIS and obviously Ian and Barbara are taken aback by it because if you've again if you've never seen Doctor Who again this might be your first time and welcome along to to Doctor Who um the TARDIS is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside and so atmospheric again like set in that scene like this is an alien spaceship yep panning around that yeah it's It's all that's the thing that I find really interesting is that up until this point, there's been a lot of, um, this is filled in black and white, so colour scaling is not really, like, as you would imagine it and as would be today if you filmed something. But in uh, Earth, quote-unquote, in Shoreditch, which is where this is set, um, there's a lot of, like, greys and dark kind of colours, and you get into the TARDIS and it's pristine white. Yeah. Obviously, if you... Um, have seen like behind the scenes footage of the actual TARDIS it's like slightly different colours it's like teals and the the buttons on the on the console are different colours but the kind of the walls and the way that it looks in 1960s film is just white and clean and crisp which is so like alien and bizarre from this world which has got smog and dirt and like you know a completely different such a contrast to the junkyard isn't it and also the thing that I love about the TARDIS at this point in Doctor Who's history is that it has done this sort of juxtaposition of having the futuristic TARDIS set but then they've dotted around like historic items from history so it's like you are supposed to be able to tell that this is a time traveler they've got a spaceship but they've got like an old chair in the corner from like hundreds of years ago and all these different like artifacts and I think that's something that really I don't think I ever really clocked it as much before as when I was watching this the other day and I just thought there's that's a so ship. clever. There's a ship, isn't there? Isn't there like a blue piece of type ship? I don't know. I just like remember thinking it's so cool that they've like mixed the futuristic interior with the artifacts and the thing, the bits and bobs around the TARDIS. Like you say, it's so clean. And then you just have these random things dotted about. It's just really cool. Let's talk a bit more about William Hartnell and Caroline Ford as the Doctor and Susan. So 
the Doctor in this incarnation, we'll get into future incarnations in the future, but the Doctor as we meet him in this, at this particular point in time, um, yeah, it's quite wiry and, like, grumpy. And also, like you said, gaslighting, really quite, quite manipulative at points. Yeah. Like, lying to Ian and Barbara, treating them like they're stupid. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting seeing how, like, that character has changed over the years and watching as a fan now, knowing the Doctor, like, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who's just been, like, the most recent, um, spoiler alert for those of you who have not watched all the way through, but she's very, like, optimistic and fun and hopeful and very inclusive and encouraging, whereas this Doctor is, like, almost the, like, a, almost a polar opposite at this point. Like, he warms up and becomes more gentle, as we'll see later on. Mm. But at this point, when we meet him, he's, like, quite abrasive to watch, which is great. I think what's so interesting about this, and I I think I really clocked this on this watch of of An Unearthly Child, was that he is really grumpy and abrasive, and it's like, you can really tell that he is an alien. Like, that's what they're going for. But then he has these moments where he has these really beautiful speeches and explanations of the impossible and, like, uh, you know, other worlds. And then you think, oh, this is... Like this is a really like this. He's an alien. This is really interesting. Yeah. He's um, genuinely captivating to watch in those moments. But then later on, as we'll probably get onto, there are scenes where Ian and Barbara um, immediately step in to help uh, someone who's been injured. And I think I just me me and my housemate were talking about this the other day that it's sort of like he starts to see that humans are actually like not silly, like they're actually really worthy and that they they are kind and they have stopped to help someone that they that actually was trying to kill them. And I think just to think about it in that way that like we've met the doctor at this stage, but then like, for example, when we get later on and he meet and he's he's Susan has left, spoiler alert, and Vicky, Vicky is the companion, he's completely different, he's much warmer. And I just wonder how much, and we'll see as we go on, the companions really impact the way the doctor acts towards other people and how it opens him up to to friendship to kindness to kind of being less abrasive and maybe you know i think over the years we'll see how that pans out to the doctor that we know today Mm. i also really love um two things before we actually get the TARDIS going and we've got in our first venture is number one ian (laughs) ian in the car going no that's impossible she can't be a foreigner and i'm like oh god (laughs) shut up there will i think there will be so many little bits and bobs like that as we go along that we're gonna be like oh that was the 60s anything that's weird and not normal must be foreign to us from another land across the sea but i also um on the flip side love um barbara's got this like real intuition about her and real kind of like uh, she can really sense when something's wrong and when yeah. something's not going like the way that it should be going. Yeah. And when she gets on board the TARDIS and the Doctor's like, yeah, we travel in time and space. She's like, yeah, like I can kind of believe that. Yeah. And I think it's because it's that thing of, oh, what's, it's that thing of science versus like the arts mm. almost in that Barbara has this like, th- like history you will never know exactly 100% what happens in history, right? There's lots of things, to, lots of ways of keeping evidence, a lot of ways of keeping track, but particularly, you know, history before technology and before things were written down, etc. Mm. You've got no real way of knowing 100% of yeah. how something happens. You literally happens. just have to take history's word for it. Exactly. Whereas science is methodical and you, ha- you can mm. prove something. It's evidence-based. So it's really interesting seeing the difference between Ian and Barbara, where Barbara's, like, open to the possibility of this, like bizarre concepts of like traveling in time and space whereas ian is like a bit more conservative at first and is a bit more like hang on you're talking about time travel don't be so stupid and ridiculous it's like bizarre it's funny how there's those sort of like undertones of the male role and the female role and the and the the young woman role in susan whereas you know i guess women are quite if you're gonna go on stereotypes like women are supposed to be like intuitive and and dream me and the head in the clouds and you know it's easy for us to believe that barbara is the one that's like that and ian is the one that's like not having any of this this is not right i'm a science man you know um and you know i don't hate it i like i i love them both as characters i think it'd be interesting to see how they um how they deal with this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, should we move on to the kidnapping? Because it's uh, it's quite sinister. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the end of this first part of this story, um, <laughs> the reason that the Doctor ends up with companions is because he literally kidnaps them. Yeah. He's just like, we're off, don't know where we're going, can't control the TARDIS, but we're off somewhere. Um, 
and they go and then it's like they can't get back because the doctor doesn't know how to control the TARDIS and move it to any place and back again Um, and I just think it is absolutely mental that that is the way (laughs) that that begins I mean like it's kind of hilarious and it's kind of as the episodes for for this story go on it's kind of like you see their relationships growing and I can see why they would all become friends rather than like being like oh my god you kidnapped me like I hate you type vibes Um, but like crazy crazy that's how it starts it is really crazy how that's the beginning and you see how it's like the first Doctor being really mischievous in some ways and just like trying to teach people a lesson because Susan doesn't want that to happen. And like, she's like, no, no, let people go and starts like fighting him on the, con- mm. on the console. She, at points, right, in this story, Susan is like, no, I won't, I'm not going to say violent, but like tries to jump her grandfather to get control of the TARDIS. Jumps she a jumps caveman. a caveman. <laughs> she, she's like... She's like 15 and quite wiry and just like goes up, goes yeah. after him, which is so great. But no, the Doctor essentially kidnaps Barbara and Ian <laughs> and travels back. We don't know where. Um, somewhere on Earth, we assume. Somewhere on Earth. And the Eurometer, which I really love. I love the Eurometer. It is like... Just the best concept, the best name ever. I love it. it reads- Why have they never mentioned that in New Who? I mean, they probably have at some point fleetingly, but it's, it's not like a thing, it's that, a thing from New Who, is it? It's not a thing. Um, and it reads 100,000 BC. Um, and they leave the TARDIS to find themselves just in, like, in this completely bizarre open space, mm-hmm. this desert. My favourite part of that is that in all of the kerfuffle, Susan found a coat to put on and left the TARDIS prepared <laughs> I that as too. she should. It's a very cute coat. I've literally written in my notes, I love Susan's coat. They've got and very I, sensible outwear. Yeah, I just thought it was hilarious that within all this whole chaos of being kidnapped, Susan was like, oh, just hang on a minute. I'm just going to get my coat so we can uh, go outside. Uh, and there's some lore throughout this all throughout the lore so the doctor mentions that he's from a different planet and a different time susan mentions that as well um and also when they leave the tardis which disguises itself it's meant to disguise itself uh, to fit in with the surroundings she goes why hasn't it changed i'm sure most people have seen bits of doctor who here and there on the tv and just know the tardis as a police box but like that's the time where our our main characters are realizing the tardis is broken the chameleon circuit is broken the tardis is supposed to change to fit in with its surroundings and it has not done that yeah and tardis we should say stands for time <laughs> and sorry i was reading a note um and can i tell you the note i was reading what that was made me not <laughs> Ian hates being wrong. He's such a man. <laughs> um, ah. I don't know if we can keep that in the podcast. Yes, we are. Of course we can keep but, that in. What, uh, <laughs> what, does, what does Tardis stand for? Time and relative dimension in space. The gang find themselves, as we said, in a, in a desert in 100,000 BC. And one of the first things that we see the Doctor do is smoke. And Susan immediately, this is hilarious, immediately like goes mental. She's panicking. She's screaming. She's yeah. freaking out. I'm thinking if you're a time traveling being yeah why are you freaking out that you have time traveled (laughs) she's running around screaming her head off she's like going mental i think like the doctor's walked off somewhere she's freaking out like you'd think she i know she's meant to be kind of a child or like a young age for a time lord but i like that she's like just freaking out that they've done what i presume all time lords but, know how to do. But isn't she screaming because like the note she finds his notes and she gets really panicked that someone's taken him away? Uh, yeah, I think she. No, I think she was freaking out before that because that's oh, why yeah. I've, ri- I've written it down. I've literally written down. Susan panicking is a bit much. Isn't that what you guys do? Time traveling shit. <laughs> like, yeah, I do feel like she could have been a bit more chill. I also love that immediately within the first like five minutes of the second part, um, someone I think it's Ian says, "Who is he? Doctor Who." Yes. And I'm just like, oh, this is the thing. So yes, outside the TARDIS, the Doctor is having a little look around. He is just trying to test out where he is. He takes a Geiger counter with him to... He's like, he's very experimental at this point. He's just kind of looking and seeing what what kind of point in time we're in. And um, he lights up... (laughs) I was going to say he lights up a joint. He doesn't light up a joint. He lights up his pipe. Yeah. Um, which is so bizarre <laughs> to see people smoking on children's television now. Yeah, I mean, like, 
I'm pretty sure as well that never happens ever again. But it's so funny how much of this story is like, this was meant to be for children. <laughs> what? Smoking. <laughs> and he is spotted lighting up his pipe by a caveman. And the caveman knocks him out and takes him back to his cave. Because these cave people have been trying to light fire and haven't worked out how to light fire. And if I have to hear the words... Orb will send flames to man's hand once more. They're basically, they're, they're sun worshippers and they think that the sun is going to send them fire through their leader. And it's all a bit political because they're like, oh. And the toxic masculinity is mad. Uh, it's off the charts. Off the charts. So they have to find the leader based on who is able to provide fire. And um, Zah, who is the current leader. Lots has of pressure on Zah. Lots of pressure on Zah. He can't provide the fire. He's not worked out how to do it. And uh, uh, her who's uh, one of the young women on the tribe, is basically like, if you can't do that, Cal, who's a stranger, uh, has come into the tribe, uh, is going to usurp your power and um, take over as leader of the tribe. So there's all this pressure. So when they find someone who can make fire, it's like, make fire, please, make fire. It's like literally losing their heads. Losing, losing their, their heads. And that's where Q Susan jumping on a caveman's back. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> um, I think that with this caveman plot line... Um, I think there are bits of it that are genuinely really interesting. I think it's a smart way to show the concept of time travel. Yes, yeah, yeah. But the thing for me that I kept coming back to when I was watching it was that I was so, so invested in the unfolding of the relationships between Ian, Barbara, Susan, the Doctor, their dynamic, you know, who does what in this scenario, who brings what to the table, that I almost kept zo- not zoning out of the caveman stuff, but it wasn't as important to me at all. Yeah. And I think it's worth watching all four parts of An Unearthly Child to really get that um, introduction to the characters and how they fit with each other. Um, but really, I don't, like you're reading the plot and I'm like, I remember that happening, but it's like, it's not the most interesting thing yeah. that's going on, you know? There's a lot of stuff that happens that really informs um, the behavior of the characters. So like you mm. said, when they find um, one of the cavemen like has been attacked by a wild beast um, and is bleeding. Mm. Um, I think that happens in part three or four. Yeah. yeah. And Ian and Barbara's natural instinct obviously is to be like, oh my goodness, let's help this person. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, what are you doing? We're trying to escape. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's really interesting how those those little things that they end up doing kind of have, end up having an impact on the Doctor and how the Doctor yeah. sees humanity. But I agree that, like, there were parts of this that I was going, this is caveman politic, and I'm not sure if I'm that bothered by it. Yes, I think the <laughs> scenes where it's literally just the cavemen arguing or fighting or just talking to each other and it doesn't involve the TARDIS team, I think that's quite hard for it to be engaging for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know... It was made for the 60s. It was made to air every Saturday for about 20 minutes. You know, it was a completely different way of making television. Um, And I still find a lot of value in it. But it's also a way of like, I guess the point of it was let's observe history, right? So you're observing history through acting uh, and these people interacting with one another. It doesn't help that they've got cut glass English accents and the dirt is not particularly (laughs) sticking to their faces. But... Like, I, I und- absolutely understand the point of it. I just think that at points I was kind of like, oh, do yeah. I really care? I will yeah. say, Old Mother is so me. There's <laughs> She's a char- iconic. There's a character called Old Mother who basically sits there with her arms folded and goes, you think you're going to make fire? You stupid bitch, you're not going to get anything. Yeah. Like, he's just sat there <laughs> just, like, judging all of these men trying to make fire. And she basically predicts at various points, like, yeah, the tribe's going to come to, like, its end because you can't make fire because you're a moron. Um, so, like, She's what's iconic. the point? We're just going to sit here. She ends up dying, RIP old mother. Um, <laughs> we should probably, we should maybe make, like, a, like a collage of, of, like, <laughs> you know those collages which have, like, Princess Diana and Harambe yep. and yep. Captain Tom? <laughs> Her with old mother, <laughs> yeah. You should make one with old mother. <laughs> I want to quickly go back to a character moment that I loved, and again, because I do think the character moments between the Tars team are the most valuable parts of this. There's a scene where the doc- where Barbara says that the Doctor makes everyone else seem less important as him, yes. and I think that that is so telling of the Doctor's relationship with humans, the Doctor's relationship with beings he sees as inferior to him, mm-hmm. um, the setup between the TARDIS team, and I just think it's so important that I think you know, looking back to the very beginning, 
there are still so many traits that like the 10th doctor and the ninth doctor and lots of doctors still have of that inferior like superiority complex and i think it's so interesting that it started all the way back then in that first episode and barbara even comments on it and how and just like how kind ian and barbara are to each other i ship them so much they are so cute together how kind they are to susan and the doctor um to the cave people you know, it's like really telling of the relationship between the Doctor as an alien and the human companions. Yeah. And it re- it's really well written straight away. You remind me, flashing forward a bit to a future episode that we will come to in about 10 years time. Mm. Um, when <laughs> when the ninth Doctor played by Christopher Eccleston is like, like rolling his eyes at, at Rose and is like, oh, mm. I picked him for stupid ape. Mm. Like, I just find it so interesting that yeah. that trait goes all the way back to this where he's just kind mm. of like, what are you doing? We're trying to escape. Like, why are you, why are you helping these people? Don't be so stupid. Literally, like, yeah, yeah harking all the way back. Um, I also thought it was interesting, you know, when they sort of make the doctor the leader of the tribe because obviously he's <laughs> the one who's instigating instigated the kidnapping and the situation and it's just so interesting to immediately label the doctor as the leader and i think that again all throughout who history there's a lot of that like the doctor is the leader and blah 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 blah. like i thought that was really interesting um and really really nice way of like introducing the characters to us and kind of what their relationships are going to be and who the doctor is straight away i will say um there are lots of there's lots of this that is very um dark (laughs) it is i mean like a lot of my notes are literally just like there is so much screaming there are so much genuine like bloodthirsty grossness there's a lot of fighting there's a lot of violence there's like a dead animal at one point where barbara's doing this bloodthirsty scream also by the way on that note she's just been in a cave so when they get caught by the by the tribe Mm -hmm. and um are put into this cave it's the cave of the dead it's like all these skulls so Barbara has just seen like loads of hundreds of human skulls. I mean, she has also animal. just, she's literally just been traumatized. Like maybe she's just, it's the trauma. It's like, she maybe she wasn't expecting to see it. I just find it a bit odd that you're like, okay, we're going to put them in the cave of skulls and she's seen all these like dead human beings. And yeah. then like a pig that is slightly rotted is the thing that sends her over the edge. Isn't there like at the end of the story, don't they, someone gets killed as well? It's yes. Like- in, the, in the final part of the story, Ian makes fire for everyone. And he he's such a feminist because he's like everyone should be able to make fire yeah. everyone should know how to make fire girl boss yes ian, ian. <laughs> girl, girl boss gaslight like, gatekeep <laughs> that fire <laughs> so like carl comes into the cave where they've made the fire and attacks czar who is going to be given the fire by ian to like lead the tribe and czar kills cal and there's this like proper fight scene between between them actually there's someone in the credits that's cor- that is credited as a, as a fight choreographer yeah. which i find really hard because it's really a long funny. fight it's a long fight and it ends with it ends with czar throwing a massive boulder over carl's head it's really and it dark just cuts away before you actually see anything go into anything and it's yeah. kind of like oh this is for this is for children for the, the tiddlywinks <laughs> i get why maybe whitehouse got so annoyed like <laughs> Well, I mean, that was a much later, but yes, I completely agree. It's really, really dark. So it's so dark at points, which um, maybe you should like have have an adult if you're under the age of 10 and you're listening to this. I hope you're not listening to this and you're under the age of 10. Um, But I think that, yeah, it is really dark at points. Um, But I really love the way that they escape from the from the tribe i love it get they, back to the they literally fake their deaths yeah and because <laughs> cave people are stupid don't you know yeah and like they put i think susan or ian puts the skulls and lights them up with a torch and then yeah. it looks like they've come alive come alive from the dead well, yeah i think it i think they were trying to like fake their death and make it look like they've, they've come back or something yeah. like that and then that chase scene where they're running back to the tide which oh is, my which god is so stupid it's Literally like lots of looks, close-ups of their face it's like they're running on a treadmill yeah. and they filmed it it's so funny. I've literally written in my notes them running to the TARDIS lol because it's just like they like the it's so hilariously shot. Um and it's a really really funny way to end the story. So it's just like close-ups of their faces mm. as they kind of like as lots of trees and branches brush, brush past them. <laughs> and it's like me panicked. on the on the double decker bus yeah. through Brixton. <laughs> should we uh, lead into our quote of the week? I think we should lead this is a good place to introduce our quote of the week. Because it's as they're going to the TARDIS right at the end, and Ian says as they enter the TARDIS. When when he, when they get inside and they close the doors, he says, "Come on, Doctor, get us off, get us off." <laughs> Not like so let's childish. go. Come on, Doctor, let's leave. Come on, Doctor, press 
the go button. Get us off. Get us off. <laughs> no, no other context for that. So childish. Um, and then we left on a cliffhanger. We yes. Left on a cliffhanger, which We're... is so brilliant. So um, they land on a mysterious, very, very silent planet. But can I say that it literally looks almost exactly the same oh, as the cave, almost... caveman desert we just had, which is with a few more leaves. <laughs> the BBC budget did not go that far. Um, it... BBC had one pound and a dream. And a dream. <laughs> <laughs> BBC had one pound. The week that, that was the week that was, had flopped. Um, <laughs> nationwide hadn't begun yet. And all Morris was saying, Verity Lambert and Sidney Newman had, was, was a dream. Oh. Um, so they land on this planet, which looks very suspiciously like the forest, um, and uh, the, the doctor goes, what's, what's the radiation reading, Susan? And Susan goes, it's reading normal, Grandfather. It's safe, it's normal, it's all okay. And then the, the little lever just like starts going up towards the danger zone. Ooh, radiation Not only, not only does it go towards the danger zone, it's very firmly on the high end of danger zone by the end of the cliffhanger. But I just thought that was so, I really, like, I really felt like, as I was watching the four-part four story, leading into that i was like i'm really on board with this i'm really on yeah. board with the way that the, the these characters have been this, you know leaving earth and well i guess they've just got they stayed on earth you know going back in time and yeah. then like now they've gone to a new planet it just all leads in really well yeah um and i was like yeah i'm buzzing to find out about these radiation levels and where they've gone <laughs> you know get your guy counters out for the daleks <laughs> Well, what a cliffhanger, but we've got plenty more to talk about. Let's get into our fun facts of the week. Beth, do you want to introduce your fun fact first of all? I've been doing some research and I ended up on TARDIS Wiki and I had a few different things saved, but my favourite thing that I read, my favourite fact, and it just says, Caroline Ford's hairstyle as Susan was created by famed stylist Vidal Sassoon. <laughs> like, how cool is that? I, do you ever just like find out something new about Doctor Who and you're like, how did I never know this? That actually like, kind of sounds fake. Like, how did I not know that that was a thing? I literally can't, like, I love that. And I also, I'm trying to work out whether that means like Caroline Ford's hair was mm. done by Vidal Sassoon or was it, was it specifically Susan's hair? Yeah. Was, designed by Vidal was it Sassoon? like a specific hairstyle that was famous in this? I feel like we need to elaborate. Was it a hairstyle that was made in the 60s that then they put on Susan? So it wasn't for Susan, yeah. but it was like a... Do you know what I mean? But I just like that sentence without context, you know? <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it there. Um, can I say one more small fact yes, before absolutely. you go? Uh, the bones in the Cave of Skulls were apparently real bones um, that they got from an abattoir. And yeah. apparently it was really unpleasant to smell. <laughs> and I just thought that was disgusting. And really, when you watch an unearthly child and you get to these scenes it really adds a level of disgust to like where yeah. they are and <laughs> well, that just made me think of um scary movie those are bones sydney i don't know what that oh. means but i'm gonna let you don't reference worry. away don't worry guys i will show so her that afterwards those were my unearthly child fun facts i like those fun facts um my original uh, fun fact is um that annika wills auditioned for the role of susan and for those of you Doctor Who fans already, you will know this. But for those of you who don't know, Annika Wills ends up becoming Polly, who's a future companion to the first Doctor. And we will get to Polly's stories in a few months' time, I'm sure. Mm. But, and the um, second Doctor. And the second Doctor, of course. Mm. So I'm sure um, that we will be talking more about Annika Wills in the future. We I'm really glad will. she didn't get the role of Susan, I'm not going to lie. She's just perfect as Polly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my fun fact that Annika Wills, who plays Polly future companion to the Doctor, uh, first and second Doctor, auditioned for the role of Susan. So that's my fun fact. So should we talk about our background character yes. of the week for this? Uh, so we both picked a background character from this story that we think is our favourite background slash non-speaking extra character. Yeah. Um, I'm going with the policeman because he's mm. the very first character or person that we ever see in Doctor Who. It makes me like absolutely lose my mind that the first character in Doctor Who is a policeman and he doesn't say anything. Um, and I just think it's obviously a really good indication of like Britain, you know, they go from like a policeman to a police box and it's just like kind of setting the scene, but he doesn't say a single thing. Um, and so he's my, he's iconic. He's the first ever person to appear in Doctor Who. So he's my background character of the week. I just know that there will be like books and audio dramas that have been written about this character, but what happened to the policeman? <laughs> I honestly, do you know what? I like, Honestly, don't think there is. I've never heard of really? that before. I mean, do you know what? I'm going to check Tardis Wiki, Wiki right now. Oh my goodness, our um, source of all knowledge. By the way, if you've never used Tardis Wiki, it's great if you want to understand anything in Doctor Who. 
it's so helpful just to refresh your memory on anything to learn stuff like it's just literally impossible for anyone to remember everything about Doctor Who and it's just such a godsend my favourite thing about TARDIS Wiki is that in TARDIS Wiki in universe in Doctor Who the alphabet is not the same as the alphabet here in in the real world because (laughs) in in an episode that we'll come to Sarah Jane Smith says the alphabet wrong and (laughs) they obviously didn't check before they went went to broadcast so like S and T are in different places so that's your stupid fact of the day Various conflicting accounts existed regarding the policeman's identity, which include audiobooks and normal books. Of course. <laughs> um, because there's a book called Shroud of Sorrow, which came out, I think, for the 50th anniversary, which I think gives him a name. Fred, oh. Fred Rawlings. Um, Fred! And Hi, Fred! Just seeing, according to another account, he had a different name, Bernard Whittam. I prefer Fred. Um, I prefer Fred, sorry to say. Um, and he was a projection of the TARDIS's chameleon circuit designed to accompany its police box exterior. However, the wow. projection went on to live a life for five years afterwards. I love that idea. I, um... So like the police officer is a projection from the TARDIS to help it disguise itself. Wow. It projected a man that lived for five years afterwards. <laughs> That's really cool. Can you, no, but can you imagine, can you imagine meeting that man and going on dates with that man and then suddenly and after just, five years he disappears? Uh, yeah, so that was my background character who apparently isn't a background character, apparently has quite an interesting story according to that. the extended Doctor Who universe. I am going to name my background character of the week as, I'm just going to call him the schoolboy. So um, one of the first things that happens after we see the policeman is... Um, the cameras go through the corridors of Cold Hill School and um, just, like, seeing what these teenagers are up to, like, normal teenagers. And these these two girls are talking to one another about, I don't know what, and they're looking at something in, like, a book. And this schoolboy does what, like, I would imagine any, like, 14, 15-year-old schoolboy does at this kind of age. is like, run up to the two of them and stick, their, stick his head between the two of them and look at the <laughs> book that they're looking at and goes, oh! Oh, interesting. It's just really stupid. <laughs> I have to say, there is no mention of him in TARDIS Wiki, oh. so he does not have a backstory, but maybe you could pitch that to Big Finish. Well, Who does he grow up to be? Wouldn't that be interesting? Like, like think, like, a little small 15-minute drama about, like, these students who suddenly yeah, two of their teachers and, and their mate yeah. disappears. Okay, so if anyone from Big Finish is listening, hire <laughs> us to write this. A, pre- a precursor to class. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pick our song of the episode. Every episode, we're going to pick a song that encapsulates the story that we have just watched. And we had a real debate about this. Um, I came in with my idea, which is When a Fire Starts to Burn by Disclosure. <laughs> because obviously, the central tenet of the story is about fire from the orb. Um, but Beth had a better idea. And listening to the lyrics, I think we've decided that this is a, this is a superior idea. Oh, we go. I mean, that yeah. was the first I heard. Well, apparently, we're going with it. Um, my my pick for this was Up in Flames by Years and Years because some of the lyrics, there's literally a lyric that says, and the past is going up in flames. <laughs> and I just thought, I mean, they're in the past and the whole point is that they want to go up in flames. So <laughs> that's, that's our song um, of the episode or of the, uh, our song of the story. Because there's multiple episodes. Um, that's our song of the story um, and we'll put it in a little playlist and as we go on we'll take it in turns to pick songs for each story and we'll put it in a playlist for you guys to listen to and if you want to find our song of the story playlist click in our description and you can find your music provider we'll try and put it on Spotify and an Apple Music for you mm-hmm. and uh, we'll take it in turns every week to just add our, add our little song to our to our playlist and you can listen to it as you go about your non-who days these people are not doing anything non-who, David. That is true. That They're is just true. like us. Just like us, you nerds. To finish off each episode of the Who Watch podcast, we will be talking about news from in and around the Who universe, just really quickly to round off sort of where we're at, where we're at, at this point in time and to contextualise the Who universe as it is right now as we're recording. Um, so this week... David, do you want to talk about what happened this week? Yeah, we finally, after what feels like a thousand years, got confirmation of the dates of the 60th anniversary specials. So they're going to air on the 25th of November, the 2nd of December, the 9th of December. And we've had the posters have finally been released. Yes. Who, Very exciting. Wait, the second poster contains... I don't know who this this character will be. Who's that little man? Who's that funny little man? Like Humpty Dumpty robot egg. I don't know who he is or who they are, but I love them. I don't know who you are. But I want to. I, I, I want to run to you. Absolutely love how little we know about Wild Blue. Yonder. I'm so scared about it. 
I'm scared. Yeah. And it's funny because obviously, like, this is the first episode of this podcast, which will go on for years. And like, when we listen to this in a year's time, it's going to be like, oh, remember when we knew nothing about the second episode of the special? And now we know everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so that was the main thing that happened this week, wasn't it? There's yeah. there's some other bits floating around. We got confirmation that Mel is going to be in the 60th anniversary special. We kind of knew that was going to be happening. We kind of guessed that that mm. would would happen. However. Mel Bush, who, if you don't know, was a companion to the Sixth and Seventh Doctors um, and has uh, a checkered history, shall we say. We'll get to it in, like, ten years' time. Um, she is going to be coming back to Doctor Who and was originally announced as being in Series 14. However, I mean, nothing is done in the Hooniverse without it being deliberate. Um, but the Disney Plus trailer... Uh, or the Disney Plus edit of the trailer for the sixth anniversary had a couple of new shots in it. Mm-hmm. New shots of David Tennant looking at what is pr- pr- presumably Beep the Meep spaceship falling to Earth. New shots of Camden Locks from that filming. Mm-hmm. But there's also a shot of Neil Patrick Harris running through the unit t- HQ. And, and Mel Bush is just stood, Bush in the background. stood in the background. And I, I don't think anything would have been done without someone knowing about it. No, they 100% knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but it's just been really nice to kind of be like, ooh, that's yeah. Mel. Yeah. Exciting. She's going to be in the 60th. And it's nice to know that the, the universe that Russell is creating right now starts as soon as the show yep. comes back and it will move into Shooty's first series, second series. You know, we're really getting the universe again. So there was that rumour, that thing that we saw of... How do you pronounce his name? I'm so sorry. Anya and Bernard. Anya and Bernard. Who was my pick to be the um, 12th Doctor all those years ago, and he never got it. But now he's in Doctor Who as a villain, so... So, apparently, he is also going to be, at some point... His name was on the 60th Specials box set thing that was just announced, so maybe he will also be in the specials. As, like, a little cameo, but he will be in Series 14. He was announced originally for Series 14. So, I'm guessing that there's going to be just, like, some continuation. It's that whole thing of... You said it to me, like the Saxon, yeah. Saxon master kind of teasers that we saw back into series two and series three. You know what Russell's like. He likes to plant his seeds. Oh, yeah. He wants us to know that he has thought about this. He's yeah. planning these storylines far in advance. I'm yeah. really excited. And there'll be stuff that we see in these episodes that. that like will bear fruit in like five years time when we get to like series 19 or whatever it is like we are not prepared for what's coming and we're excited yeah and i think the only the only other major thing i can think of happening i mean there are tons of doctor who things happening at the moment but something that um i'm really excited about excited about excited about about are the decades books that bbc children's books have just released and they've done a book for every decade it's a few doctors it's like six different doctors Mm. in different decades and i've just started reading the 60s one and they're just very sweet and very lovely and a really Mm. nice way to celebrate doctor who so i will come back next week with more thoughts on that once i've read more of that next week we'll be watching the daleks so do join us for the first appearance of everyone's favorite evil pepper pots evil i think it's an understatement and don't forget to subscribe to our little podcast and you can find us all over the internet it's at who watch podcast and you can email us on the who watch podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear your thoughts and what you're making of the episodes we'll see you next time Bye. bye